What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. In an open-air prison for migrants near San Diego at the U.S.-Mexico border, migrants find themselves detained and forced to try to survive the elements as their population has doubled in size in just three months. Joining us to discuss is Melissa Gomez, a Metro reporter for the Los Angeles Times, whose latest reporting addresses treatment of the migrants by U.S. Border Patrol. The piece is called Migrants Struggle Against the Elements in San Diego's Open-Air Desert Camps. Good morning, Melissa. Good morning, Kat. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining. Melissa, I just want to like help my listeners get a sense of the area we're talking about. Where is Jacumba Hot Springs and its distance from the border, the 30-foot border wall in San Diego? Like, place it for us. Sure, definitely. So, Jacumba Hot Springs is about an hour east of San Diego. It's still in San Diego County, um, and it's right up against the border wall. Uh, you know, the, the town, its border community, it sort of ends where the border begins. And how many migrants are currently being detained there? Um, so it, 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 it sort of depends on the day. I mean, when we when I spoke to volunteers and, and uh, who are sort of um, helping uh, provide resources for uh, the migrants down there, they would say that they average about 500 a day, um, 500 migrants. It can go up to 800. Um, it really just depends, and um, you know there there are folks crossing the border uh, during the day, during the evening, um, and and so that's the sort of situation there. Uh, easily hundreds of people a day. Now, is this an official detention center? No. So you know, in in terms of using the word detention, um, that's that's not something that when I spoke to someone from the U.S. Customs and Border Protection, uh, that's not something that they. They felt that it was. I mean, you know, when you use the word detention, a detention facility, um, you know, they're required to provide um, certain certain resources like uh, medical care and food and shelter and water. Uh, this isn't that. Um, what's happening in Hakumba, you kind of have these unofficial um, holding areas due to the fact that you have a lot of migrants crossing Um at such a high rate, you know, this wasn't happening. This this sort of started happening around May, um, and they're not sort of equipped to have. Um, they don't have a detention facility there. You know, in most places like a port of entry, they have a place where where migrants can stay. Um, but because of the fact that they say they've been overwhelmed in Hakamba, um, they just don't. They're they're transporting people from Hakamba to facilities, um, but obviously that doesn't happen quick enough, and so people end up staying the night there. And staying the night in what kinds of conditions? Talk about the weather, resources, etc. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of resources, as I mentioned, because it isn't an official detention uh, site, um, Border Patrol uh, isn't required to provide um, resources like food and water and, and shelter. And so we're talking about people, you know, this is an area called the Mountain Empire um, in eastern San Diego County, and they kind of experience, can experience extreme weather. Um, you know, in the summer, it gets above 100 degrees. And right now, um, 
you know, when I was there, it was easily 40 degrees, you know, at night, it can hit under below 40 degrees. Um, and when the wind too is pretty strong. Um, so these are kind of the weather there is, is um, right now pretty cold and it, it a lot of volunteers are worried about what's going to happen. You know, they don't have enough tents right now for the number of migrants who end up staying the night. Um, you know, I interviewed some some migrants who said that they um, spent the night in the open air. Uh, you know, the lucky ones kind of have tents, um, but there just aren't enough to go around. Melissa, I think that, you know, when people are hearing this, they're thinking, you know, Latinx migrants, but there's a population of Chinese immigrants there as well, correct? That's right. Yeah. A volunteer that I spoke to um, roughly estimated that about half are are coming from China. Um, Yeah. Do you have an idea like what that journey looks like for Chinese immigrants that land there? And how much of the population they make up? Um, what that journey looks like, roughly, you know, my my colleague Zhang Park wrote about this trend about the the increase of uh, Chinese migrants coming across coming across the Mexican border. Um, you know, often that looks like flying into a, a country in South America, Central America, and then and then traveling to Mexico by bus um, or walking. Um, and so they're sort of joining um, folks who cross the, the Darien Gap as well. You've mentioned volunteers a couple of times. Can you talk about the support work that is being done by non-governmental organizations and people? And did you get any information about why the government is not providing basic resources? I mean, if they're tagging the people and keeping them there, it seems that they should be accountable to making sure they're okay while they're there. Yeah, you know, there are Border Patrol uh, field agents who are there monitoring um, these 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 campsites. And there are three um, in Hakumba. Um, each of them easily have about, you know, a couple hundred people at any given time. But it's really the volunteers, um, local residents who have stepped up to feed them, to give them water twice a day. Um, when we were there, you know, the volunteers were giving out um, uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and an apple in the morning, and then they would immediately go back to the to the youth center that they're uh, able to to house donations that they receive, um, and they went back and they uh, made uh, hot soup for the the evening meal, um, and so it's it's really the volunteers, the nonprofit organizations like uh, Border Kindness and Al Otro Lado that are funding these efforts, gathering donations, um, doing things like buying tents and, and blankets uh, and, and gathering donations from local businesses as well. They're the ones that are stepping up. And, um, you know, as I mentioned, because these aren't official detention sites, uh, U.S. Uh, CPB is, is sort of not required to to provide these resources. And so it's volunteers sort of see it as, as an area where they can help. If you're just tuning in, we're talking to Melissa Gomez, a Metro reporter for the Los Angeles Times, whose latest piece is Migrant Struggle Against the Elements in San Diego's Open-Air Desert Camps. Melissa Gomez, you mentioned that part of why folks are sort of stuck here is um, is that there's not an official detention center right there, and then also it's taking a while for them to be transferred 
transported into official detention centers. Did you get a sense of how long we're talking, like from the time someone gets to Hakumba, how long it may take them and or their whole family, right, to get to an official mm -hmm. uh, detention center? Yeah. I think that really depends. Um, it depends on, you know, the transportation that they're able to, to get. But, you know, we heard stories of people who were there for three to four days. I think that's something that um, Al Otro Lado, the organization that I spoke to, um, they have heard, you know, had people stay there uh, up to four days. Um, you know, they're really quick about getting vulnerable folks uh, to, to a shelter. Um, so that would include women, children, and, and the elderly. Um, but it is it is the case that some of the folks that I spoke to had been out there um, for a night or two and, and stories of, of, you know, that stretching out, stretching on for longer. Have we seen these types of open air detention centers in the past? And if so, with what populations? Yeah, so these have happened before. Um, when I talked to uh, an immigrant rights group, they mentioned that um, other other groups have seen this up uh, over in Arizona, um, and uh, you know they have seen tents go up sometimes. Um, this also sort of happened in 2021 when um, thousands of Haitian migrants uh, were sort of forced to stay um, near uh, a bridge over in Del Rio, Texas, um, and and so these open air camps have, have happened before along the border. Melissa Gomez, you mentioned uh, talking to uh, s people that spoke about sleeping outside uh, in the open air because they didn't have tents. What other kinds of stories did you hear from people when you were doing your reporting? Yeah, I mean, in terms of what the migrants were saying, a lot of them were just they just spoke about why they made this trek. Um, you know, I spoke to one one man and his family who came from Colombia, and and he had mentioned uh, the threat of violence drove them to the border. You know, it was not something that they ever thought they would do to, to leave their home country, um, but because of the threats on, on his life and his family's life that they, uh, they decided to make that journey. Um, uh, one Chinese migrant mentioned, um, told me that he was here. He had he had crossed the border to um, to find quote freedom and democracy, um, and you know they were just hopeful that they could get some answers. You know when they when they crossed the border, they weren't told how long they were going to stay at these open air camps. They weren't told why or or when they would get to a shelter. Um, and so they just they just had a lot of questions and, um, you know, the reasons as to why they crossed very much varied. Am I accurate that, that I read in your article that that at least part of this camp is on people's private property? That's right. Um, one of the campsites is uh, is on the property of, of Jerry and Maria Schuster's. And how are they reacting to this? Yeah, you know, they've they've sort of been aware that this has been happening since May. Um, and they're sort of frustrated uh, with with not being able to get answers as to how long this will this will be taking place. You know, 
they've, uh, if, if I remember correctly, have been in Hakamba for 40 years. Um, and they are sort of frustrated because uh, they, they see migrants sort of tearing up some of the brush um, in order to fuel fires in order to stay warm. And so they've asked Border Patrol for, for some help in terms of making sure that the area is, is, is not littered. Um, and so they, they are frustrated and, and they just don't know what to do because they're, they're not able to get any help um, from, from any, any agencies. I mean, forcing people to sleep in open air in these kinds of conditions to, in my book, is a human rights violation. But as I was reading your story and I was thinking about the lack of accountability um, that exists out there, did you hear of, witness uh, additional human rights violations that there's no one to, to, for the migrants to, to talk to about? I, you know, I heard some, some, of what uh, the executive director of Al Otro Lado has, has seen. Um, and I think, you know, um, their organization is, is doing a lot of that work in terms of helping migrants um, when when they feel, when they need help. Um, hey, in terms of things that I saw directly, um, you know, it's, it's hard to say. I, I didn't... Uh, I didn't have any migrants tell me that they had they had suffered anything um, such as a, a human rights violation. I think they were just looking for answers, um, and and I even had uh, you know the brother of, of the man from Colombia who I spoke to mentioned that you know they acknowledged that they they knew that they weren't coming in the right way, and um, you know even though. They didn't expect to end up in in the middle of the desert. That they were, they were still they were still grateful um, to have been able to escape and and be safe. Wow. Okay, Melissa Gomez, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Yeah, thanks for having me. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox Five. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam. <laughs>